Test of the auditorium. Nick, please confirm. You can hear. Test one, two.
All right, everybody, we're going to get ready to go live in just a minute. When you hear the chair's voice, we're going to begin streaming. Please remain muted until it's your turn to talk. It's November 5th, 2020, um, still in the middle of an election, uh, and time for a planning board meeting. Could we get a motion on adoption of the resolution? Anyone? Jerry's having some issues with that mouse. Uh, move adoption of the resolution. Can we... Second. Can we... Did we lose uh, Casey? Yeah, my computer ran out of juice, so I'm walking over to um, um, use Dominic's computer for the moment, and then I'll get the extension cord plugged in. All right, did we get a second on the adoption of the resolution? Yes, uh, I second it. Very good. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That's approved. The uh, record plus? Uh, move adoption of the record plus. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. That's approved. The uh, 2710 Washington Avenue extension request. Uh, move approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That's approved. The Park Ridge preliminary plan extension request. Uh, Jerry says to move approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That's approved. The adoption of the corrected resolution for banning from the state's preliminary plan. Uh, move adoption of the resolution. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That's approved. And the minutes from October 22nd? Uh, move Aye. approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That's approved. And we will start the roundtable discussion while I go uh, fire up my computer again, but I can still hear what's going on here. But I'm going to turn it over to Mike now. Good morning, uh, Planning Board. Uh, Mike Riley, Parks Director here with my bi-weekly Parks Director's Report. So I'll start with um, a couple things that have happened in the last week or two. Uh, on October 26th, we had a continuation of our Parks Speaker Series where we bring in uh, experts from around the country to talk about uh, cutting edge issues relevant to the park and recreation business and uh, this session uh, had uh, uh, entailed a presentation on the recently completed park master plan for the city of uh, San Diego and I was really struck with a lot of the parallel issues they're facing uh, over on the other coast that uh, we face here in our park system including population growth uh, increasingly diverse uh, 
demographics of their population, and then in particular, the focus of their master plan on equity in investment uh, in both uh, capital, their capital program and their, uh, their uh, programs that they implement in their community. So it's a really good session. It was uh, recorded and uh, I thought it was uh, very valuable for our efforts, particularly considering that we're updating our long range plan called the uh, Park Recreation and Open Space Plan, which we're just kicking off and it'll come to you uh, through multiple sessions uh, uh, next year and uh, I thought it was uh, incredibly useful. Uh, next, uh, uh, the National Recreation and Park Association's annual conference was held uh, virtually this year, of course. And I just wanna highlight two sessions that I thought were uh, excellent that uh, I and uh, other park senior leadership uh, watched. Uh, one was called uh, Data-Driven Strategies for Equitable Urban Investment. And the speakers were from uh, New York City, uh, Parks and Recreation, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Minneapolis, and Detroit. And uh, again, the theme about uh, all of these agencies, are, are they, everyone's doing a little bit differently using data, but uh, all the park and recreation agencies around the country, particularly in urban or urbanizing area, are focusing their investment and their master plans on some form of equity lens. Um, New York City is fascinating. What they did is they just went back over a 20, 25 year period. Uh, they calculated how much money had been invested in each one of their parks. And if it was under a certain threshold, they simply uh, put that park on the top of the pile for uh, investment, assuming that if, if a park had not been invested in for 20 or 25 years, that that was an inequity that they needed to, uh, to correct. And of course, other jurisdictions, including us, are using a whole uh, array of uh, data and analysis to, to figure out where to focus our investments. And along those lines, our own Jay Cole gave a talk at NRPA that I thought was awesome. It was called Equity, the Case for Redlining the Term Social and Getting Comfortable with Racial. Uh, her presentation started out going over the history and uh, results of redlining in our country. And that segued into what I just spoke about, how various cities across the uh, U.S. Uh, are, are trying to factor equity into their park and recreation investment. And she did uh, sh uh, showcased uh, New York City, Los Angeles County, San Francisco, uh, Minneapolis, and uh, Portland, Oregon. So uh, we, uh, we are the leader in parks and recreation, but we're making sure that we are uh, tracking what is going on in, uh, around the country so that we can learn from our, our colleagues as well. The next topic I want to talk, uh, cover is both the parks and planning issue. Uh, Director Wright and I yesterday participated in uh, what we call uh, the Director's Oversight Committee for the uh, county's uh, uh, co-location of public facilities effort. This is an effort that's been going on for over a decade uh, where we try to um, uh, touch base periodically uh, between the major entities that invest in uh, capital development, uh, the county government, uh, DOT, DGS, schools, WSSC, us, and several others, and uh, uh, brainstorm on um, where we can uh, achieve efficiencies in many ways by uh, co-locating uh, public infrastructure. 
And what was uh, really pleasing about this meeting is, uh, you know, after a strategic planning effort involving multiple agencies that's been going on for a long time, we could all spend time sharing success stories about real projects that have been implemented, of course, with the one on the top of the pile right now, our brand new headquarters, which houses multiple uh, agencies. And then, of course, the Wheaton Library Recreation Center and Park, which has come to fruition lately. And the one I was proud about that I got to brag about most recently is uh, the Dewey Local Park, uh, Park Refresher, which sits on top of WSSC's uh, sewage storage facility in Rock Creek, which was a co-location that we did a long time ago that actually has come to life cycle. There's many more examples, but... Uh, uh, as you know, I'm even though I work for the planning board, my career path is more as an implementer. So when I can um, sit there and, and cite actual implementations that have occurred that are achieving the goals of a plan we did a decade ago, it makes me feel really good, really proud of that stuff. Uh, totally switching gears. Uh, today, the county council will be hearing a the next uh, COVID executive order from our county executive. I know you all know that the numbers uh, both nationwide and in Montgomery County are not going in the right direction. So unfortunately this order uh, uh, includes additional restrictions. Just go over some of them very quickly. The gathering size will be limited to 25 people. Um, that is a big one for us. Um, an example, we have weddings booked, uh, several of them in the foreseeable future that were based on the guise of 50. So we will have the unpleasant task of notifying the bride and groom that if they continue want to continue along with their wedding plans uh, during the pandemic, they're going to have to cut their uh, invitation list in half. Uh, and there are other uh, implications, of course, uh, of what we will be able to do in our ice rinks and in uh, many other examples. Uh, it also uh, reduces capacity in uh, uh, certain buildings from 50% to 25%. That will have pretty devastating effects on Christie Turnbull's uh, ice rinks and tennis centers. Um, and, uh, but it is what it is. I mean, we have to follow the guidance of the health officer. There's some other clauses here that affect us, but I just want you to know that we are staying attuned and uh, we'll just have to adjust accordingly like everyone else is. So the council has a public hearing today and depending upon what they do, um, we, the, the order will go into effect uh, tomorrow, most likely. There is one part of that order I just wanted to let you know I objected to. Uh, there's a, there was an order that said, if you, don't, uh, if you don't clean and sanitize your playgrounds every hour, you have to post notice uh, at the site. And I felt that was just a waste of resources to post, to make and fabricate and post over 300 signs. Uh, at each playground that simply tell the public that they're not cleaned and sanitized every hour because I think everyone knows that. So my proposal back to the health officer and to count the council was that we simply post notice on our website and through social media that that's obvious. It, it's clear that we don't have staff racing out to every one of our playgrounds to clean and sanitize them every hour. So the, I imagine that will come up today and hopefully they will agree with my uh, suggestion. Um, 
uh, to avoid surprises, uh, next week we come back to you for the final round of the operating budget. There will be some bad news and that CAS is, uh, their actuaries have reevaluated both the pension contribution and the OPEB contribution. Unfortunately, they've both gone up significantly. So when I presented the park fund budget to you and open saying that the normal cost drivers that drive our budget up were rather tame this year, um, unfortunately, uh, they've been reanalyzed and they've gone up. So when we come back to you next week, you'll see the numbers across the board for the park fund, the admin fund uh, have to be adjusted to account for increased uh, pension. Uh, and I imagine the board and the full commission will get a briefing from central administrative services on why those costs went up and the background behind the actuarial uh, analysis. Um, moving forward, uh, we have our semi-annual presentation to the full council on November 17th. And a new item that we'll be involved with at the council was just added on uh, December 10th. They're going to get uh, an update, or I rather should say the Fed and T&E Joint Committee will get an update from uh, County DOT, from State Highway, and from parks on any of our open streets and open parkways efforts. Uh, the council, as uh, particular council member Glass, has indicated a uh, interest in understanding where we are with all those efforts that have been uh, uh, mostly very popular uh, with the communities they're in. And then lastly, I want to give you an update on our accreditation. Uh, as you know, the National Recreation and Park Association has a program called the Commission for Accreditation of Park and Recreation Agencies, which is referred to as CAPRA. Uh, they accredit uh, uh, park and recreation agencies throughout the country on a five-year basis. We were up for uh, reaccreditation in 2019. We asked for a one-year extension because we felt we needed to do some additional work on a few uh, selected standards. Uh, we had a virtual visitation back in April uh, from uh, three uh, visitors that uh, do the, uh, the uh, accreditation. And uh, at the end, uh, we were reaccredited. Uh, we passed, the good news is we passed 150 out of 151 standards, which uh, is an A plus, but it was with a caveat, we did get a warning uh, because they felt that uh, we were a little bit late in the game clarifying certain information for compliance with some of the standards uh, leading right up to the, uh, the accreditation hearing. So uh, we did get a warning and what that entails is that uh, we have to submit an action plan in 45 days about how we're going to be prepared for the next uh, reaccreditation and not have a similar situation occur. And then we're going to have a visit in uh, one year from now from uh, CAPR to just make sure that we have, uh, we're in line and in good standing with all of our uh, meeting all of our standards. So that is all I have today and I'm happy to take any questions. Uh, Mike, uh, Jerry Sishi on line. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Uh, just on your uh, wedding booking, uh, obviously these sound like they're booked events. Is there any, I don't know whether we're probably more indoor than outdoor. Is there any option to kind of separate the groups a little bit than with maybe a TV screen or if it's in a garden, uh, slightly separated garden areas? Is that a, an option or are you 
That uh, that's a, a good point to to look into. You know, I haven't been fully briefed on the details. I just I just know that when we booked certain things, fifty was the limit. But you're you're right. We do have the if they're at the venues like Brookside or Seneca Lodge, uh, we do have the outdoor uh, opportunity if the bride and groom want to gamble on the weather. So we will absolutely look into that. Or even uh, separate rooms and, uh, you know, obviously co-mingling is a problem, but just a thought. Yeah. Well, thank you. Appreciate yeah, I'm it. sure. I'm sure yeah. Christy Turnbull will sure. do everything within the limits of the, right. the law to try to accommodate the, the bookings. Great. Understanding. Thank you. Okay. Um, if there's no other questions or comments. We will um, move to the next item, which is 4725 Cheltenham Drive sketch plan. Thank you. Thanks. I was like, can I just check in with you briefly? Of course. Good morning. Great. Thank you. Hi, Robert. Uh, can I check in with you briefly?
Okay, well, I think we have everybody now for item three, forty-seven twenty-five, Cheltenham Drive, and I think presenting we have Jonathan Bush. Good morning. Hello. Give me one moment here. Sure, take your time. Good morning for the record. My name is Jonathan Bush with the Down County, lead reviewer for the 4725 Shelton M Drive sketch plan, 320-200060. Staff is recommending approval of the sketch plan with conditions. The project is located in Bethesda near the intersection of Wisconsin Avenue, Maryland 355 and Shelton M Drive. The subject property is south of CVS and north of Chevy Chase Acura. A public alley is located immediately to the east with Sheltonham Urban Park beyond. The 0.25 acre site's frontage is along Sheltonham Drive. The applicant is proposing an 80,000 square feet residential building. Pedestrian access is located along the street's frontage with a 20-foot wide public alley providing access to the garage and loading. Sheltonham Urban Park is located to the east. The proposed bike facility runs along Sheltonham Drive, and the applicant will be participating in the implementation or construction of the bike facility on the north side of Sheltonham Drive. Further determination, final design, and participation of the bike facility will be evaluated at time of site plan. The project was reviewed by the Design Advisory Panel, most recently on May 27, 2020. They voted unanimously that the project is on track to receive the minimum conceptual design points. There are three main points the panel wanted the applicant to further evaluate at time of site plan, which is conditioned in the staff report. The project must be constructed with public benefits as noted. These are the public benefit categories that are being proposed with its sketch plan as detailed in the staff report. Staff has a correction to public benefit categories, namely the off-site bike facility, which will be discussed in the upcoming slides. All categories and points will be further evaluated at time of site plan. Staff notes on the record that there were two typos contained in the staff report, an incorrect public benefit calculation total on page 19, as noted, is 107.05, and the decimal point was in the wrong place. Instead of 11.54, it should be 1.54 points requested. Staff has three corrections to the conditions. Condition 3A was modified to include the implementation of the bike lane beyond the site frontage and condition 3B was modified to specify that the streetscape improvements are at the alley entrance beyond the site frontage. Conditions 8 has been revised to state at time of site plan to allow the applicant's flexibility to collaborate with staff on recommending from the device advisory panel. Relative to condition 9, staff notes that MCDOT issued their letter and it was in conflict with the zoning ordinance standard minimum width 
of a driveway in a CR zone, which allows for a minimum of 20 feet. The final driveway width will be determined at site plan in coordination with planning and MCDOT staff. Staff finds that the sketch plan conforms to Chapter 59 of the County Code and conforms to the sector plan. Therefore, staff recommends approval with conditions as enumerated in the staff report. This concludes staff's presentation. Okay. okay. Does the applicant have anything to add that before we take questions and comments from the board? Yes. Good morning. Um, for the record, Elizabeth Rogers with Lurch Early and um, It's a pleasure to be here today on behalf of Bazuto Development, the applicant of the sketch plan that's before you. Um, just want to introduce here who else is here with me on behalf of our applicant team. Um, we have my colleague Steve Robbins, also of Lurch Early, um, Devin Hasty and Lauren Abbott with Bazuto Development, Josh Sloan with FICA, um, Sean Sadler and Sujin Cho, Cho of WG Architecture, and Chris Cabot with Wells and Associates. Um, before we begin, I just wanted to say a quick thank you and acknowledge the efforts of several staff that participated in the evaluation of this application. Um, particularly, Jonathan Bush as the lead reviewer and planner has done an excellent job. And as always, we appreciate Stephanie's um, leadership and assistance. Uh, we agree with Steph's, um, staff's recommended conditions as modified through their presentation today. Um, and just wanted to quickly say a few quick words as staff kind of described in their presentation, this project will obviously result in a significant improvement over the existing conditions on the property. It promotes the goals and objectives of the Bethesda downtown plan. And importantly, will provide a very compatible transition between the Bethesda Central Business District and the park um, and the single family neighborhoods that are just beyond the CBD boundary. The property is currently improved with um, an auto-oriented uh, single-story automotive repair use with large surface parking lot, a very wide access point uh, for vehicles off of Cheltenham Drive and substandard streetscape. So this project will comprehensively redevelop that property um, into a mid-rise residential development that is much more compatible um, with the surroundings and more reflective of the property's transitional and transit-oriented location within the CBD um, importantly, just wanted to point out that the project will provide significant streetscape and frontage improvements along Cheltenham Drive. Um, included in those improvements is a wide sidewalk with a wide um, landscape panel that's consistent with Cheltenham Drive's recommendation as a canopy corridor, um, as well as the bike lane improvements both along the property's frontage, but also proposing to participate in the implementation of that bike lane between Tilbury Street and Wisconsin Avenue. Um, and I'd just like to let um, the applicant's representative, Devin Hasey, just say a few quick, quick words, um, if I can. Thanks, Liz. Um, and, and I'll be brief because I think you guys um, mostly covered it, but just wanted to say another quick thanks to staff for working through this with us um, relatively quickly. So we appreciate um, the effort there and we look forward to uh, moving forward with the next stages of this project. Great. And, Great. And we I think, you know, uh, all I would say is that, you know, we agree with staff's findings and the conditions as modified um, and request the planning board approval of the sketch plan. And our team, of course, is here to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Uh, are there any questions or comments from the board? And before I ask for a motion, I just say this is, uh, I think, really positive uh, for this part of uh, Bethesda. I think it's really great example of kind of um, 
infill that we were looking for on the on the edge there. So, thank you, Mr. Chair. Excited Mr. to Chairman, see that move forward. Yes. This is uh, Elza Heisel McCoy for the record. Um, so much has been going on that I neglected to uh, introduce, I think, to the board, Mr. Jonathan Bush, who joined us just after lockdown. I think this is his first uh, um, full project presentation. So um, speaking of uh, improvements, we are very happy to have Jonathan on the team and uh, want to welcome him to, uh, to the planning board. Yes, welcome. And he did a fine job in his first uh, presentation. Uh, do we have questions or comments from the board or, or a motion? Uh, Jerry says, shall I make a motion to approve uh, with the conditions identified by staff? Is there a second? Uh, all in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That's approved. Uh, I don't know if it's one of our board members. Somebody has a TV or something on in the background that's um, a little loud coming in. Um, so I don't know if there's anything we can do to address that. But um, thanks very much. We'll move to item four, sure. the CTI antennas living. Thank you. Thanks.
All right, we are back, and I think we have everybody we need for item four. We have Greg Russ on the line. We have uh, Suli Chow, and I think Joshua uh, Woolridge. And is that it, Dominique? Yeah, okay. So, uh, Greg, why don't you take it away whenever you're ready? Okay, thank you. Okay, let's see if I can share this. PowerPoint. Can you guys see that? Yes. Yes, we okay. can. Oh, okay. I did yes. it right this time. Yeah. It's working. Okay. Uh, okay. For the record, Greg Russ from Countywide Planning and Policy and um, we're here to discuss Zoning Text Amendment number 20-03. Um, uh, what this CTA does is uh, generally it would either delete or revise the requirements for, for abutting bus service for, for townhouses um, uh, as a conditional use and revise the requirement or dimensional standards for handicap accessible uh, vehicle parking for townhouses as a conditional use and uh, provide the distance standards for Metro station, basically just clarifying those and uh, actually uh, revising the distance requirement to a recreational or park facility for a townhouse living facility that's a conditional use. Uh, what uh, I have all the information here, but let me just explain it to you in layman's terms. Right now, townhouse living in the RE1, R200, R90, and R60 zones can be a conditional use um, if it's uh, level two accessible standards, if it falls into that category. And there, there are a number of accessibility requirements um, that are required as part of that. Also, as part of that, there, uh, there's a distance requirement of, uh, uh, of, of a thousand feet to a parking, excuse me, public recreational facility. Uh, and there's a two mile distance, uh, ma um, maximum distance uh, away from a metro station. And uh, then there's, there's uh, sloping issues uh, in terms of post-construction of the site and the site has to be at least two acres and the density requirements associated with it uh, must be or, or can be up to the TMD zone under the optional method which is basically 12 units per acre uh, unless you're doing MPD used in it it gives you additional density that way uh, so those those provisions oh and the other is there's at least one parking space for each dwelling unit um, uh, has to be handicapped accessible. Uh, now, these provisions are in place now. What this ZTA is, is doing is relaxing the provisions uh, related to the one, the public bus service adjacency. Uh, uh, the sponsor of this is is trying to provide more opportunities for um, providing these types of units in the county. So he's, uh, by taking away the 
public bus service uh, proximity adjacency, um, and uh, he's also wanting to reduce the the handicapped accessible space requirement. Right now, it's one space per dwelling unit, um, and he wants to make this one one space per uh, four parking spaces. Now, let me explain to you how this differs other than the obvious. Uh, in the case of a, a, a development that maybe wants to take advantage of, of this provision and maybe even provide even more affordable units, uh, they may not want to provide uh, uh, parking on site or a garage as part of the townhouse development, for example, and want to do uh, uh, surface parking um, for the, the townhouse units. Um, so in that case, providing uh, one space per dwelling unit may, may create a, a, a requirement for an abundance of parking in, in a parking lot. Um, let's compare that with a, say, a senior uh, independent living facility or, or, or a residential care facility building that, you know, that uh, has parking, um, surface parking. Uh, in those cases, you're, you're, you have the requirement of one, one uh, van accessible per four parking spaces. So this, this requirement that he's, he's changing this to is, is consistent with those, those provisions as well. Uh, let's see, and I just described that. The other, only other thing here is the, the, uh, uh, the issue with the adjacency to uh, bus service. Uh, my, in our opinion, uh, there are, you know, because you are you are adjacent to a, a a public bus service doesn't or not adjacent to a public bus service doesn't mean that um, the property isn't um, you know adequate to accommodate you know more accessible units. Um, what it means is. You don't you don't have the bus service right adjacent to your site, but even in the case where you do, you, you're not guaranteed to have a, a a bus stop right there at your at your property either. Uh, but but in any case, um, there's so many paratransit uh, uh, types of, of uses out there that can can accommodate uh, developments, uh, whether it be taking them to the metro, taking them to doctor's appointments, et cetera. Um, and in the case of, of this type of use, you're uh, required, this is a conditional use. And even as part of the conditional use requirements, you, you can, there can always be discussion on, you know, how are you accommodating your, um, the residents there as you have these conversations as well as part of a conditional use for uh, independent living facility or residential care facility. Um, those conversations um, can always be part of that. Um, um, so from the standpoint of staff, we looked at this as if the overall objective is to provide more opportunities to have accessibility uh, townhouse units in the county, then what the, the council is doing strikes a balance here that um, that we um, believe is uh, appropriate. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, I'm, I, I understand that there was a letter that uh, 
received by either uh, the planning board and the council and uh, and it reflected uh, uh, not being in favor of this based on those two issues that I discussed in terms of adjacency to public bus service and and the parking requirement. Uh, be happy to answer any questions you may have. Uh, are there questions or comments to the board? I think we have one person for a putative applicant. Char Char I'm sorry, Chair, do you want us to wait until the public has spoken before we ask Mr. Russ any questions? Uh, unless there's something you really want to talk about specifically that he's mentioned, we might want to hold off until we hear from uh, Suli Cho, if that's okay. Absolutely. Good morning, Great. Mr. Russ. Good morning. Great. So, uh, Suli Cho, you are on. Good morning. Nice Hi to there. meet you this morning. Hi. Um, thank you for the opportunity. For the record, Suli Cho with a law firm of Miller, Miller & Canby. Um, I am speaking today in support of ZTA 20-03. Um, I uh, am working with uh, the NRP group, and Josh Wood Wooldridge is here today with me also from the NRP group, and will be speaking as well. Uh, I will be very brief um, and just wanted to clarify. I, I should tell you it's really not our practice to allow people represented by council to have their council speak and then for them speak. So, I mean, if there's something that he really needs to say, that you can't say, I'll let you do that, but just. Well, let me, purposes. let me let him say most of it. I just wanted to make uh, one corrective um, statement. The uh, text amendment as originally drafted actually on the parking requirement is proposing one parking space for every four dwelling, dwelling units, not parking spaces. Um, I think the, um, the, the description of it being one per uh, four parking spaces was uh, an error in the council's legislative uh, report in the introduction of the text amendment, and it was um, just a, a Scribner's error and just wanted to make that clarification. And, and you're so saying I'll, it should be what? Not one per four parking spaces, but what? But one, one per four uh, dwelling units. was, And that's in the actual text of the, the draft text amendment is written in that manner. One parking space or one access aisle for access? one one van access aisle for every or one van access accessible space for every four dwelling units. Okay, that's separate from any parking requirement that might or might or might not Correct. apply. Okay, got it. Thank you. Okay, I'll, I'll let Josh go ahead at this point. Very good, Mr. Woolrich. Hi, thank you. Good morning. Uh, as Sue Lee Cho said. My name is Josh Wooldridge. I'm a resident of Gaithersburg, and I also lead the Mid-Atlantic operations for the NRP Group Neighborhood Revitalization Partners. Um, Chairman Anderson and members of the planning board really appreciate the opportunity to provide uh, testimony and our feedback on the zoning text amendment 20-03 design for life townhouse living conditional use standards. As I said, I lead the operations for the NRP group here in the Mid-Atlantic. We're a top 10 national multifamily developer and builder with our Mid-Atlantic headquarters also located in Gaithersburg. Very proud of the fact that under in under four years since opening NRP's Mid-Atlantic office, we've created 30 permanent jobs uh, with significantly more on the horizon despite the pandemic. 
Also proud to report that we've completed our first multifamily project in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, which is the only multifamily project in the Cabin Branch PUD in Clarksburg, Maryland, immediately adjacent to the new outlet mall. Um, we're certainly biased, but that project uh, turned out beautiful, incredibly happy with the way that it turned out. Also has 25% MPDUs with a large majority of two-bedroom den and three-bedroom units. I uh, would invite everyone to uh, take a look at the project when they get a chance. The NRP Group was founded over 25 years ago as an affordable housing developer. Since our founding, we've gone on to complete 265 affordable projects with over 43,000 units delivered. Uh, today, there simply is no other company like NRP Nationwide that delivers really an equal amount of affordable housing as well as market rate projects. And as we like to say, what NRP really does is solve housing challenges. Uh, as we all know, Montgomery County is no different from most places in the country, and we have significant housing challenges. More specifically, I believe uh, one of those challenges is creating a large enough variety of innovative housing types to serve our dynamic and growing population. In our effort to deliver both affordable and market rate projects in Montgomery County, we quite literally stumbled upon the Design for Life Living statute. In addition, we found an incredibly well-developed section of the county's website to promote and further the goals of the program. To our knowledge, in over five and a half years uh, since the legislation was created, the uh, very well-intentioned legislation, I might point out, we believe that it's only resulted in 19 fee simple and uh, relatively expensive elevator townhomes. Um, like the legislation, we also stumbled upon the Park Redland project off of Redland Road in Durwood, which was the first, and again, to our knowledge, the only project to utilize the current iteration of the Design for Life townhome living statute. Again, 19 fee simple three-story elevator served townhouses uh, starting at prices over 750,000. Uh, we feel like the 19 units created from this legislation is entirely due to the kind of restrictive nature and compounding of those uh, geographical limitations, proximity to the metro, bus line adjacency, park proximity, and over two acres in size. Uh, similar to Mr. Russo, uh, to Mr. Russ, uh, we commissioned a technology company uh, to, to help us look for sites and pursue projects. And uh, what we found is it was virtually impossible to find any areas of the county that really met all of those criteria. Upon studying the legislation in depth and with some tweaks outlined herein that we discussed, we could envision an entirely different type of community that could deliver affordable and accessible homes with the ability for residents to age in place in closer in county locations. Uh, we understand and appreciate the desire for the proximity to the bus service, but frankly, residents in our communities have incredible amount of transportation options available at affordable pricing like uh, ride sharing, in addition to the county's other resources. Uh, also don't believe that the proposed tweaks in the legislation would result in say a flood of projects either. New and innovative housing types that could be aided by this legislation are incredibly important. Uh, to solve our housing challenges in this county, we need as many tools in the toolkit as we can get. Lastly, the pandemic is fundamentally changing uh, our business, uh, the projects that we build, 
and the way that we consume and receive goods and services. The healthcare industry had already been evolving to accommodate in-home health in healthcare services, with physical housing constraints likely being one of the largest deterrents. Uh, it stands to reason that the healthcare industry will similarly adjust, resulting in more people desiring to stay in-home to also receive medical care. Uh, we feel as though delivering more accessible housing units that can allow folks to age in place, we can at least eliminate those physical barriers that most of our existing single-family home housing stock is plagued with. Uh, for those reasons, we would urge the planning board's support of this tweaked legislation. And uh, again, thank you for the opportunity to provide testimony uh, today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, are there questions or comments? Starting with, uh, I think Tina had a question. I do. My question has to do with the, um, and Mr. Woodridge kind of touched upon it, but Mr. Russ, I wanted to ask you regarding the um, the access to transit. Um, you mentioned that paratransit options are easily accessible, and that may be true at times. Um, so, for example, Metro Access requires making a re um, reservation in advance. So any last-minute needs either require someone catching a taxi or, as was mentioned earlier, ride share. Are we sure we want to go down that road in terms of saying other options are available and, and let the council have that discussion or let the public weigh in? And I'm sure that the Commission on People with Disabilities would support what I just said regarding Metro Access. I actually know people who use Metro Access, and if someone needs to go to the doctor today, they're not using Metro Access because it's already booked. And it's been booked for several days or, in some instances, several weeks. So, so you're asking me, are we, are we sure you want to, to use that as a rationale for exactly. that? Ex exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and let me caveat also by saying um, access to public transit. Um, it's interesting. I was sharing with, this with someone recently. If someone has to walk several blocks to get to a bus stop, um, someone who's able-bodied, it may not be a challenge, but for someone who needs any type of assisted device, whether that's wheelchair or a cane, that could be an impediment to actually using that public transit. So I just, I'm just wondering how we're going to position this argument. No, 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 very good point. Uh, I mean, the, I mean, the only other option there is is as part of the. I mean, put something in here that that has a requirement that uh, that uh, as part of the conditional use they uh, address the issue of providing you know access or or you know transportation for their for the uh, residents there. I mean, it's it's some similar kinds of language in I believe the independent living and. Yes. and residential care uh, facility there, there's certainly that kind of information that we could you know mention to the council that we suggest should be placed in there um, and I mean I don't have a problem with that at all um, uh, the, the, the my my issue is uh, limiting the opportunities to provide uh, this, you know, uh, accessibility units uh, based on that adjacency. There are other ways to deal with it. And, and what you mentioned is absolutely uh, one way, and that's 
uh, utilizing something in the conditional use process to, to require uh, a development to provide access for their residents. I'm kind of of two minds about this. I mean, on the one hand, I think that um, access to transit is not necessarily um, absolutely essential. It depends on the circumstances of the person's, you know, living arrangements, I think. And some people who have uh, physical disabilities um, need to be able to have ready access to transit. Others, it's less relevant because they may, uh, their physical disabilities may even limit their ability to use public transit. And they may be uh, assisted in, in their day-to-day -day activities and their ability to get around by some other person who's coming and driving them around, putting them in a van, you know, driving them to their destinations. On the other hand, I think it is important to try to get as much uh, housing for people with physical limitations uh, close to transit as possible because, uh, among other things, because uh, Metro is, and WMATA are required to provide uh, transit services to the disabled, and that's a major uh, cost driver for tra public transit systems all across the country, including WMATA the need to provide metro access uh, service to people with disabilities who do not live near existing transit. It's, it's a massive uh, budget issue for, for them. And uh, there's many very contentious issues about uh, how those services are provided, whether the contractors who, who operate some of those shuttle services uh, provide uh, high quality of service and uh, treat people the way that they should be treated. I mean, it's a real really uh, difficult uh, and contentious set of issues around that. So uh, as I said, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, of two minds and I think this might be an issue to flag for the council, not necessarily to say that we're coming down on it hard one way or the other, but just to note that um, there are some pretty good reasons to strongly encourage um, housing for people with physical limitations to be transit accessible, but that uh, we recognize that um, in, under some circumstances, at least, that may be a, uh, the, uh, that may not be possible and that there may be reasons to uh, provide this kind of housing in places that are not right next to uh, a bus stop or a, or a rail stop. That's just my thought. Anybody else have an opinion? Uh yeah, Jerry Sushi, just uh, speaking a little bit on the transit side, uh, I recall back in the day, we actually, uh, I think it was, uh, maybe it was Route 5 or something, we deviated the at the request of the Leafy House, which was pe was pe senior people and people with disability. Uh, we deviated the bus based on an arrangement that regular, this was regular ride on bus service. Obviously, there's uh, bus service for people with disabilities. But the other thing would... I'm not totally clear on this location, but even putting in an additional bus stop by the facility could be an option that's worked out with MCDOT. Uh, so we are moving in the direction of transit access in the county. Uh, I think that's important. I think we talked about uh, the Veers Mill Road and particularly a BRT bus stop and 
the ability to have a ZTA that allowed you to change the zoning to concentrate development at BRT stop, bus rapid transit stops uh, as a consideration. Uh, the other thing, it mentioned that there are some three bedroom uh, apartments and the issue there are these three uh, kind of senior people each occupying a bedroom or is it for people with uh, children? And this came up on uh, a HOC project off of MacArthur Boulevard, uh, suggestion to uh, accommodate people uh, by making uh, three bedroom additions. And the impediment to that was an extra parking space. Again, the idea was accommodating uh, families with children. This may not be a facility. So the three bedroom units, what, what, how are they directed in this project? And Greg, we may, Greg, you can maybe answer that. Is it, is it for um, multiple? Actually, I, I'm not, I'm not privy to to this specificity of of what each of these units are associated with. I'm only looking at it from the overall policy standpoint of it being a townhouse living unit itself, because different developers will come in with different floor plans, et cetera. I mean, but the key components is they have to be uh, accessible uh, units, uh, accessible right. to units, yes. Sure. But the now, but the person who's, uh, um, Joshua may be able to answer your question. Yeah, the, uh, the three, uh, having three bedrooms, does that require an additional parking space? Hi guys, it's, it's Josh Woldridge again yeah. with the NRP group. I was simply referencing a project that we had just built in the county and opened uh, when I mentioned the two and three bedroom units. Uh, so this wasn't about a specific project. It was about a past project that we had already opened. As uh, Mr. Russ points out, the uh, design for life is uh, surrounds townhouse living. Okay. And oriented to more senior population? Aging in place, right? So yeah. it's th that's really the I think the yeah. crux of the legislation is the ability to age in place with uh, with accessible features okay. in the design. All right. Okay. Thank you. I, that's another issue. I just accommodating uh, families again, just no regular housing, accommodating families with more children going in three bedroom uh, would be occupied by children. I know a previous case it was stated. Well, you'd need another parking space, and I think that. Uh, relates to accommodating families, but I have no problem with the project as or suggestions as proposed. All right, so we need to decide what we're going to say about this uh, proximity to transit. Uh, I think we've heard from a couple folks, but Natalie and Prathap, are you, what are your views? They're both muted. Bertab, go ahead. Sorry, I'm having some technical difficulties here. One second. My headphone is not working as well as I'd like. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Um, I don't have any more to add than what was added before. Um, 
Well, one approach would be to just say that we're uh, supportive of the ZTA, but acknowledge that transit accessibility is is um, important to encourage for this type of housing. Uh, but that we feel that on balance that the, that there needs to be some flexibility in, in accommodating it in other locations as well. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would support that. Anyone else? Is that okay I, with you, Tina? I agree. Like Agreed. Chair, I'm okay with that. Mr. Russ, did oh. you capture that okay? Um, yes, it's, it's almost what I said in the report, so it's it's pretty good. I, I like that. It's, it's I like perfect. it a lot. I like it a lot. It's yeah. perfect. And you're saying the planning board is not reading my report, and we're wasting all this time for something they already said. I agree with you, Greg. Moving on. Yes. Okay. Very good. Uh, can we get a motion to uh, tra transmit comments to that uh, effect on the ZTA? Uh, Jerry says, yeah, I'll make a motion to that effect. I'll second. All in uh, favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That is Aye. That's yep. approved. And uh, we'll see you all in a minute for the uh, hotly anticipated urban loading and delivery management study scope of work briefing. How exciting is that?
Okay, we're live again, and it's time for Urban Loading and Delivery Management Studies Scope of Work Briefing. Good morning, Chair and members of the board. Uh, for the record, Elza Heisel-McCoy, Chief of the Down County Planning Team. Um, as we've been reviewing uh, development projects in the urbanizing areas of the Down County, uh, loading and delivery uh, has become an ever more prominent issue with multiple agencies um, involved. Uh, it affects developers, it affects communities. And so we put into the work program a study to look at best practices and uh, policies. Uh, and uh, so I am uh, excited to introduce uh, Leslie Howerton, who will, uh, will introduce the team. Thank you, Elsa. Good morning, commissioners. For the record, Leslie Howerton, Master Planning Supervisor for the Down County Planning Team. And uh, our project managers and team for this project, uh, Matt Folden and Ifton Thompson, will take you through the presentation. I just real briefly wanted to introduce Ifton Thompson, who is our new multimodal transportation planner coordinator in the Down County Planning Team. She started with us in February and is also our transportation planner for the Silver Spring Downtown and Adjacent Communities Plan. So with that, I will let uh, Matt and Ifton take it away. Thank you. Good morning. For the record, Matthew Folden with Down County Planning, and I'm happy to be here today with the team to introduce the scope of our urban loading and delivery management study and request the board's feedback on what we're proposing. The study will focus on downtown Bethesda as a case study, and the photos you'll see in today's presentation showcase some of the issues surrounding loading in Bethesda. In this photo, you can see three commercial vehicles using the northbound lane of Woodmont Avenue during the early morning hours. Next slide, please. The purpose of the study is to identify national and international best practices as they relate to urban loading and delivery and identify possible paths forward for policies that balance both loading activities and the movement of people. Ultimately, the study will seek to promote a safe and accessible transportation network for all users. The photo on the screen shows a large commercial vehicle blocking the sidewalk and forcing pedestrians to walk in the street of Woodmont Avenue. Next slide, please. Loading and delivery activities are a critical part of a vibrant downtown. The timing and manner of those deliveries is an equally critical part of providing a safe and efficient multimodal transportation network. Some examples of existing conditions include the use of laybys for commercial vehicles, lack of access to curb lanes due to the installation of separated bicycle facilities, inadequate loading dock depth and loading vehicles that use the street rather than an, an internal off-street loading dock. And that's in fact what's pictured on the screen here. Uh, the board has seen this before. This image is from Battery Lane near Wisconsin Avenue looking west. And you can see that there's a long line of delivery vehicles blocking one of the travel lanes on Battery Lane. The county's urbanizing areas are thriving centers of activity that need to be safe, efficient and adequately served by loading operations without compromising the built envir environment for pedestrians and bicyclists. This study will help evaluate the successful loading and delivery management practices in other jurisdictions. I'll now turn the presentation over to Ifton Thompson. Ifton? 
Hello, everyone. For the record, my name is Ibsen Thompson uh, with the Down County Planning Area. Urbanizing areas have many stakeholders involved and impacted by deliveries of goods and services. Over the course of the study, we will engage with public agencies such as Montgomery County Department of Transportation, Maryland Department of State Highway Administration, the Bethesda Urban Partnership, and Bethesda Regional Service. In addition to communities such as property owners, residents, and the Bethesda Advisory Committee, service providers such as FedEx, UPS, and Amazon. Next slide, please. We envision stakeholder engagement to be implemented in three phases. The first phase is listening, which consists of identifying challenges and known issues from stakeholders who provide services in downtown Bethesda. The second phase is testing and refining, which will consist of presenting preliminary findings to stakeholders and soliciting feedback. And lastly, the final phase, phase three is sharing, which will consist of presenting the final draft of study findings and recommendations. I will now hand over the presentation to Leslie Howerton. Thank you, Efton. As we're well aware, in 2019, Montgomery County passed that racial equity and social justice bill, cementing the county's commitment to racial justice, racial equity and social justice. This is reflected in the mission statement of the general plan. And equity is about uh, giving all people the resources that they need to have an equal chance of success. So in coordination with the planning department's equity and planning working group, the Thrive 2050 team, the urban loading and delivery management study team will strive to implement and promote an equitable process that assesses the racial equity and social justice impacts of current conditions, as well as potential alternatives, best practices and policies. And within our stakeholder engagement process, we're gonna reach out to many, as many people as possible that is appropriate to the stakeholders, um, communities, residents and businesses and retailers in downtown Bethesda and other areas in order to ensure that the transportation and pedestrian network and all streetscapes are safe and accessible to all. And lastly, we wanted to go through the schedule with you uh, as outlined in the scope of work in front of you. Um, we will start with our outreach and engagement efforts that we've outlined in the scope of work document before you. Um, task two, once we um, get your feedback today, we would like to jump into our existing conditions and start our best practices research and looking at case studies um, nationally, internationally, and regionally. Um, and that will take us through February. Uh, then we will present our preliminary findings uh, in the spring and summer of next year with a final uh, report uh, with best practices and um, policy recommendations presented uh, in July. And throughout that process, we will be going back and meeting with the stakeholders of the process that we outlined in the scope of work. And I just wanted to quickly highlight some of our key partners in that uh, with the Department of Transportation and Andrew Bossie, as well as Jeff Burton, the Executive Director of Bethesda, Ur Bethesda Urban Partnership. We also have interdepartmental coordination and um, we'll seek feedback and expertise from our transportation planners and urban designers in our countywide planning and policy group, as well as the other uh, department uh, area-wide teams. That concludes our presentation of the urban loading and delivery management study scope of work. And we would be very interested to get your feedback as we begin on this new study. Thank you. Okay, any uh, questions or comments from the board? Uh, Jerry Sushi, a couple of comments. I'm uh, pleased to see that you got MCDOT uh, coordinating uh, perhaps where there are bus stops and how that fits in with deliveries. 
and then also certainly with the uh, bikeway plan. Uh, you're concentrating initially on the Bethesda area, is that correct? Or That is correct, uh, Commissioner okay. Cici. We were going to focus on downtown Bethesda as a case study. Um, that's where a lot of um, the issues were first um, voiced to us during the Bethesda sector plan and with a lot of development going on in the, this area. So we were going to look at that as a case study and coordinate with the Implementation Advisory Committee, which is also made up of residents, residences, residents, excuse me, and representatives from the business community. And then hopefully through our research of case studies and national and international best practices, as well as regional best practices, we would hope that what the outcome of this study would be able to be applied to other urban areas in the county. Yeah, great. Uh, you list uh, people that uh, companies you're going to interview or talk to, FedEx, UPS, the post office, Amazon. You're actually going to do some interviews or get a sense of what their requirements are? That is the idea behind the plan is that we would try to reach out yeah. to service providers that do commercial deliveries um, in our urban areas, as well as freight delivery and as well as moving companies. There's a right. lot of multifamily residential buildings in our downtowns. And so a lot of the moving companies, um, we have some of the same issues here with them. Yeah. And then the other other thing with COVID, it's the food delivery. It's, it's a smaller scale, uh, short term uh, drop off and park as opposed to longer term unloading of a larger right. vehicle yeah all right great sounds like a good plan thank, thank you. you anyone else thank you chair and as howerton and team thank you for the presentation um i know you mentioned using bethesda as a case study area would you also take a look at rockville um specifically i'm thinking over by the um area where the whole foods is located um, that is an area that has had, there's been a lot of community feedback regarding the loading and delivery management system and the impact that it's had on um, Rockville Pike, as well as the um, other feeder roads. Um, there's, there's been some challenges where there's been backup into the, onto um, Rockville Pike. The other area I thought about um, is, oh, what's the name of the place? Um, Crown. And that's Gaithersburg, um, both there as well as um, there's another, they'll tell you, but there's a, another instance where we've got some urban loading and delivery management. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And one of the challenges has been what you've seen, uh, what you displayed on this screen, which is if those, the trucks are present on the road and either emergency vehicles need to get through or pedestrians need to pass. How do you make it safe so that the pedestrians or the emergency vehicles can get through the area at the same time? There was an application that Mr. Folden had brought forward earlier um, this year, and um, there was community feedback. That's another instance where if you want to go back and look at that regarding the urban loading and delivery, I know in some jurisdictions there is a restriction on the time frame in which that delivery can take place, but that's not always realistic especially when we're talking about delivery um, or loading or unloading of, let's say, furniture. Um, and how do they take that? How is that handled? Um, for friends that live in larger jurisdictions, and I'm thinking specifically of New York City, there's a, a, a per permit process. The District of Columbia does the same thing as well. That may be another option to look at where you actually permit or get a permit for that space 
for the day. And again, it may not be, be between 5 a.m. and 8 a.m., but you, you can only be available during those hours, do the delivery, and then you need to either move on or you'll get fined. So those, those are my initial thoughts. Um, okay. But definitely take a look at the Rockville and Gaithersburg because they have some similar um, zoning. And then the two that I mentioned, you've got a mixed use in terms of reg residential, retail, and um, the business. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Any other thoughts? Or could we get a motion to approve the scope of work? Oh, one last thing. Sorry, Chair. Ms. Howerton, also take a look. It used to be um, used to be another name, but now it's called Mosaic. Um, yeah. And we think of it for the, the mix of commercial and residential, but also look at it for the urban loading and delivery. Great. Thank you, Commissioner. Okay. With that, could we get a motion to approve the scope of work? Uh, Jerry says she motioned to approve the scope of work. Brithabra, my second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That's approved. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, fantastic. We're not quite yet, but thank you. We appreciate the sentiment. Uh, <laughs> time for um, Parkland Drive conditional use, item seven.
All right, it's time for item seven, 12917 Parkland Drive, conditional use. Uh, we have Emily Teitelbaum on the line. Uh, our applicant, Isaac Lopez, I'm told, uh, that has some um, issues with uh, uh, language. Uh, so we have Luis Estrada here to assist uh, in the event Mr. Lopez uh, needs to uh, weigh in. Uh, Ms. Teitelbaum, go right ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Let me pull up this PowerPoint. Okay. Can you all see that? Yes, we see it. Okay. Again, good morning, commissioners. This is Emily Tuttlebaum for the record with the Mid-County Planning Division. I'm here to present conditional use case CU-2102, which is an application for a group daycare at 12917 Parkland Drive. And staff recommends approval with conditions. So this slide shows the vicinity over here. Um, uh, the the site, which is on this little star, is between Veers Mill Road and Connecticut Avenue in Rockville. Um, for conditional uses, we define the neighborhood to assess compatibility. So for this case, the neighborhood here is shown in blue, um, and it's all detached houses in the R60 zone. Uh, Wheaton Woods Elementary School is located right across the street. We didn't include it in the neighborhood because we don't think it will be impacted, but it is right across the street um, from the site. And Matthew Henson State Park is just to the southeast of the property. And within this staff-defined neighborhood, there are no existing um, approved conditional uses. So this is an aerial photo of the property here outlined in red. Uh, it's in the R60 zone and within the 1994 Aspen Master Hi Aspen Hill Master Plan area, excuse me. There's an existing eight child family daycare on the property. Um, and there's a two car driveway and space to park at least two cars along the frontage. And there are additional parking spaces available along this property just to the north, because um, this is the side of the of of this house right here. The play area is currently in the front yard here. And the applicant's proposal is to expand the daycare from eight children to care for 12 children. Um, it will be staffed by the two residents of the house here and two non-residents. Um, the daycare currently operates by, with the, both residents and one non-resident. So they're just looking to bring on one more employee that doesn't live in the house and no other changes, physical changes are proposed to the property. The play area will remain as is the yard is fenced in. Um, and this is just a photo of the indoor portion of the daycare, which is on the first floor of the house, if I didn't mention that before. Um, so with that, we recommend approval of the conditional use application. It's, it satisfies all the requirements for a group daycare and the zoning ordinance, and it is consistent with the Aspen Hill master plan. 
So we recommend approval with conditions and transmittal of the board's recommendation to the hearing examiner. And I'm happy to answer any questions and the applicant is also available for questions if you have any. Are there any uh, questions or comments from the board? Uh, this is not yeah, this sure. is not a, this is not Gonzalez. I think this application is very straightforward. It's the type of application that we always welcome, and I'm ready to even move forward and make a motion. Uh, Jerry, just one question: uh, visit safety for children visibility is good in the front yard. Is that uh, that is a permitted uh, use of front yard versus backyard? Yes, it's allowed. And these daycares are actually licensed by the state and they do the inspections for safety. Um, we more look at compatibility here, but yes, front yard play areas are allowed. Good, thank you. Okay, Vice you Chair, is your motion, motion on? Yes, uh, this is Natalie Fanny Gonzalez. I move approval of conditional use, including conditions and transmittal to the board's uh, recommendation to the hearing examiner. This is Commissioner Patterson, I second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That is approved. Thank you all very Thank much. Thank you. Very good. Okay, okay, one last item, which is downtown, uh, besides the downtown design advisory panel appointment of new members, are those going to be ready, Dominique? Yeah, there. it's just Elsa, so if we log into that, we should be able to conclude our business for the day. Okay, here we are on the last item of the planning board meeting for today, appointment of some new members to the Bethesda Design Advisory Panel. And I think we have Elsa Heisel-McCoy here to uh, take us through it. Thank you, Chair. Um, good morning, Chair and members of the board. For the record, Elsa Heisel-McCoy, Chief of the Down County Planning Team. Uh, as you said, we are here to uh, talk about um, appointing some new members to the Bethesda Downtown 
uh, design advisory panel. And uh, for those following, following along at home, uh, the DAP provides design critique for optional method projects in the Bethesda overlay zone. Panel is made up of five members, which includes architects, landscape architects, um, and a, a member from the development community. Uh, in 2017, the board uh, approved sort of initial staggered terms for the members, and then uh, thereafter, um, folks serve three-year terms. Um, the board uh, reappointed two members um, the end of the first uh, staggered terms in 2019, and two additional terms concluded in September of this year. Uh, and that is uh, the seat for academia and the representative from the development community. So for the academia seat, um, very sadly, uh, the um, esteemed panel member, uh, Professor uh, Carl Dupuy uh, from the University of Maryland passed away unexpectedly in mid-August. Um, Carl provided insightful architecture uh, and site design comments with a strong design on their impacts in the urban realm. He demonstrated a persuasive passion for excellent design and always sought the best for Bethesda, often from his former students, um, uh, among whom I um, am fortunate to uh, include myself. Uh, his passion and sense of humor will greatly be missed. Uh, staff um, solicited nominations um, from uh, area design schools um, and uh, received um, uh, two nominations, uh, one for Brian Kelly from the University of Maryland and another from Tanya Onstad from the Catholic University. Um, after uh, both candidates very qualified, um, after uh, staff interviewed uh, both candidates, uh, we are recommending appointment of Brian Kelly um, for the DAP uh, academia seat. Um, Brian is not only a professor at the University of Maryland School of Architecture, Planning uh, and Preservation, but is director of the architecture program um, and associate dean for development and faculty affairs. Uh, he has extensive experience in academia as a critic and lecturer on urban design and architecture, um, has uh, served on uh, the University of Maryland's Campus Architecture and Landscape Review Board, um, and has worked uh, in the private sector marrying urban design and architecture. So we uh, enthusiastically recommend the appointment of Brian Kelly for the academia seat. <clears throat> Uh, for the seat representing the development community, um, Damon Orabona, who is known to, uh, to many, if not all of the board members, has requested uh, a second term. Um, Damon has experience in the public sector and uh, in the private uh, sector as a uh, partner with Nova Ventures Development. Um, and he has consistently brought a unique perspective and insight um, to the panel discussions and staff recommends his reappointment. And that uh, concludes my presentation. Well, there's some very sad circumstances and we're sorry to um, hear about um, how this has come to pass, but um, University of Maryland in general has been a great partner for us on so many things. So we're happy to have um, continued representation. Um, from their architecture uh, program. And Damon, of course, was on our staff before, which probably uh, is part of the reason why he can offer such uh, important insight and as somebody who's both a lawyer and a planner uh, by training. That's really, those are great uh, assets to have. 
Chair, uh, this is Tina. I did have one thing I wanted to say to the team. Um, thanks for the presentations. I'm hoping that we will be able to engage Ms. Onstad in the future um, with her background in both architecture as well as in design. I think she, there's numerous opportunities for us to engage her. Um, she, I'm looking at her bio and she has been involved in some very interesting projects where I think we can not only leverage her expertise as well as her global perspective as we move forward with efforts in the county. Yes, I think we have a number of good uh, additions here. Yeah, very much agreed. Okay, I Can hope we to get see our motion? name again. Can we get a motion to approve um, these appointments? Uh, Jerry, so you make a motion to appoint uh, the recommendations as presented by staff. Without verbal second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Those are approved and we're adjourned. Thanks, Thanks very much.